0: Today's episode of PR Future is all about artificial intelligence, as this is a replay of our webinar about the 2024 Relevance Report. Hi everyone, welcome to our AI webcast. We're happy to have all of you here. I'm Fred Cook. I'm the director of the USC Center for Public Relations, whose mission is to shape the future of the PR community and those who will lead it. And today I'm in the media center at Annenberg, with uh, several of my colleagues and people who helped develop this report, we accomplished that mission by doing projects like the Relevance report that talk about thought leadership and talk about the future of our very dynamic profession. And it actually launched this week, and I have the first copy of it right here. It just came in from the printers, and it looks awesome. There's forty different essays in here all about artificial intelligence. Normally, our relevance report co- covers a lot of uh, different topics whatever people think is going to be relevant in the coming year but this year for the first time we focused on one topic artificial intelligence and for the first time we have a partner with Microsoft who are one of the leaders in AI and we're happy to have Steve Clayton here from Microsoft as part of our panel
1: how how many years have you been at Microsoft Steve tomorrow if I make it through today fred tomorrow will be my 26 year anniversary at the company That's excellent. Thank you.
0: And Steve is now in a new position. He's VP of Communication Strategies for the company, and he was also a contributor and helped us a lot in in a partnership to develop this with Microsoft. There are a number of articles from people that work with Steve at Microsoft. In addition, we have Christina Bellantoni. who's a professor here at Annenberg, and she runs the Media Center, where I'm sitting now, that teaches all the students about the future of the news industry and both PR and journalism students. She has a long history in journalism and was most recently an assistant editor at the LA Times. And also above her is Heather Rim, who's the chief marketing officer for Optiv, where she leads all aspects of marketing and communications for the company. She previously was at AECOM, Avery Dennison, and the Walt Disney Company, and she's a member of our board at the Center for Public Relations. Another member of our board is Grant Toops, and Grant's an agency guy like me. He's the chief global chief technology officer at Hill and Knowlton, and he works across all the WPP companies to build the, an ecosystem of technology offerings that help them with data and analytics, and he is on the forefront of figuring out what AI means for agencies and for their clients. And, and we also have Tarad Neptune. Tarad is a member of our board as well. He's the senior vice president, president and chief communications officer of Medtronic, which is I think the largest healthcare technology company in the world. And he's a member of the executive committee there. Previously, he worked at Lenovo, Verizon, and he's also on the board of the Center for PR. I'm really happy that Aaron Quitkin is joining us. Aaron is actually an entrepreneur in the AI business, but previously he ran and founded and ran his own PR firm. So Aaron's seeing things from both the AI side and the PR side, and he's going to share uh, his insights with us. And he's a guest speaker often at USC. And finally, uh, Michael Kittleson, who is a graduate student who works in our center a lot. He was a contributor to this report and helped edit many of the articles. He has worked in uh, a lot of different areas in his shorter career, and he wants to solve the world's toughest communications problems. And Michael, this may be one of them. We'll see. Let's get to some questions. Let me start with you, Steve. Can you just tell us, this is sort of a softball question, but Microsoft has, has doubled down on AI. Can you just explain how important this is to the company?
1: Yeah, sure, Fred. It's uh, it's a great place to start. And I decided to ask Microsoft Copilot for an answer to this question. So I literally a few minutes ago on my phone said, how important is Microsoft? How important is AI to Microsoft's future? And this is literally what it said. Yes, AI is very important to Microsoft's future. Microsoft believes that AI is the defining technology of our time and that can empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more, and then it goes on. And I can assure you that is not a hallucination. That is one hundred percent true. It's absolutely a defining technology of our time and just incredibly important to Microsoft and everything we do. And anybody who you know follows the company in in any kind of way, you will see that, you know just two weeks ago we had one of our, largest annual conferences that we have called Microsoft Ignite that's attended by about a quarter of a million people. And that entire conference really was dedicated to AI, starting with a keynote from our CEO, and who for an hour, literally an hour end-to-end, talked about how it's basically showing up inside of every product and every service and everything that we do as a company. So enormously important.
0: And uh, Frank Shaw wrote an essay for the Relevance Report, and he talked about the other advancements in technology that have changed the way we communicate and the way we live. Does this one feel faster, That's going faster than the previous iterations?
1: I think it feels faster, and I know that Frank does. And, you know, it's maybe it's auspicious that we're doing this webcast on this day. I don't know if people know this, but today is actually the one-year anniversary of the release of ChatGPT. And if you just look at everything that has happened over the last year, I've been in this industry for 26 years and I've never seen this pace of change. We started out with 3.5, is what ChatGPT was based on. GPT-4 came out very quickly. Now we're at GPT-4 Turbo and GPT-4V. And that's just the open AI uh, you know, wave of technology that, that Microsoft is building on top of. And of course, there's many others who are out there um, moving maybe not as quickly, but certainly quickly. So I've I would say it's the fastest I've ever seen. And then that's combined with. I think it is has the most profound impact of any technology I've ever seen on our discipline as communicators and I think we all saw that right a year ago today we all typed something into chat gpt I, I expect and we all looked at it and went wow i've never seen anything like this before that's
0: interesting so is it impacting the your work and the communications team at microsoft is ai a big part of what you're a tool you're using a lot these days
1: it's an it's a very part of my work and my team's work. And so my team got formed about six months ago with we do a number of things, but a big part of the function of what we do is look at how is AI going to impact the communications business at Microsoft. And so we're using a lot of our own technology already. So there's co-pilot technology inside of Teams or PowerPoint or Outlook to help us create content, to help stimulate ideas around content, to help us, you know, inside of Teams do things like catch up on meetings and find out, you know, what actions happen in meetings. And in attend to create visual content so it's gone beyond text but the almost the entire focus of my team right now is saying how do we take this technology and apply it to our business and just to be clear that's not apply it to our business in terms of replacing work or replacing the work that people do' it's allowing us to do more important work. It's getting a, rid of a lot of the repetitive work and the drudgery and allowing people to apply their mind to be more creative, more productive, and just create better output. So that's what we're very focused on.
0: That's a good transition. Tarad, you work in the healthcare industry. When you Chat ChatGPT about that, which industries are going to be the most affected by AI, healthcare comes up as at the top of that list. How do you see this uh, impacting your work?
2: I think it's a big opportunity for us. And we recently did a national poll with Morning Consult to probe a little further at this question of AI and healthcare in particular. And I think to your question, some of the interesting insights, a couple of them, one, the majority of Americans, 52-ish percent believe that AI will have a significant benefit to disrupting healthcare, kind of evolving, transforming it creating breakthroughs that have just not been able to be achieved without it. I think interestingly, in terms of a nuance of that, there was also a view 80% also felt like the lack of clear understanding of kind of benefits and how we see AI was a challenge to understand both in terms of the risk that I think we all know well exists within uh, this construct of AI, but also more significantly, when you think about the optimism for AI and healthcare, but also, this view that the lack of real evidence around how it will improve outcomes is really where we as an industry have an opportunity to really start to color in the lines because there are some meaningful examples that we know of that exist today where AI is already driving improvements around detection and diagnosis in a way that we've never been able to see in healthcare today. Do you
0: think that there's any? aspects of healthcare that will be taken over by AI, where it's currently being done by humans?
2: I don't think taking over is the right concept. I mean, we often say that AI will not replace doctors. Doctors who use AI will replace doctors who do not use AI. And that really is the way to think about kind of the evolution of the skills that AI will enable physicians, clinicians to bring to their patients, again, Initially, in that detection area in particular, detection and diagnosis, but then more broadly, as it evolves in many more ways across the entire medical space.
0: That's really interesting. Christina, how about the media world and both the existing media world and then the students that are going into it? what how do you how do you think this is going to impact them?
3: Yeah, I, I look at it as we have to think about ways to use it for good. Uh, there's a lot of danger in misinformation, in fake news that is literally, you can find a way to get ChatGPT to, to make something up that you could then publish, and that can get people not only in a lot of trouble, but it could be very dangerous. And um, it's interesting that Steve mentioned the word repetitive because that's what I actually wrote down in my little you know notes here, because that's where we're starting to look in the student newsroom. What are things that we do that are are not really journalistic. Maybe that's data collection. Maybe that's a task where you're doing a repetitive task. That's something that we're looking at ways we can harness that and free the journalist up to do more of the actual journalism, which at the mission is find information and verify information. So I think a good example way I like to describe it is actually not really my world because I've been a political journalist for so long. But if you think about sports coverage, you could get artificial intelligence to write a story based on the statistics in a game team x beat team y here were the points here was the score at the end here was the score at halftime and you could even have a little bit of flavor in there If this player had a three-point assist and whatever but that wouldn't get you the feel of the stadium, the vibe, the things that we teach journalists to use their senses to recognize. Um, You could have it transcribe a press conference from the coach afterwards in the locker room. But you might not get that mood of what they're looking like or that real exchange between a reporter and that coach. But it can probably get pretty close. And that's why a lot of news organizations are quite concerned about it. Another example, we had an event here about AI here at Annenberg not that long ago, just a conversation less formal with some faculty and some outside people and a member of the LA Times who is working with the News Guild to try to negotiate their next union contract So that this is actually a sticking point in the bargaining talks because there's a proposal from the L.A. Times saying like, when we use AI here, here is how the journalists will respond and interact with that. And the newsroom that is represented by the guild is saying, no way, this is not what we want to allow. We do not want to be replaced by robots effectively. So there's a lot of tension there. And what we try to do with the students, we know that they're using it in their day to day lives. I actually have a confession. I have never used AI. I mean, I guess I use it in things that are built in, but I don't have chat GPT, whatever. I know less people to do. My mom is using it to write a business plan currently. I see all the good in it. I just, I haven't quite done it, but we know the students are using it regularly for a lot of different things. And so we recently won a grant um, here at USC to take a couple finite tasks and help to use AI to help with them. For example, we have... Crime logs that mark bike thefts on campus, or maybe there's particular incidents of things happening in and around the campus, to be able to start taking that data and not just analyzing it, but translating it into sentences, right? Right now, it's not very useful. You have to scrape it from a PDF, and then how do you make it say eight bikes were stolen over the weekend in this area or something like that? But it can also start to identify trends, and that's where you need the humans, right? The human journalists who are both taking a look at that information, verifying it, and then adding important context. What you don't want is for AI to say, you know, SC is a hotbed of bicycle thefts um, because there were eight thefts reported over the weekend. There, It's really easy to get into those dangerous conclusions um, looking at that data. So it really is a partnership, which is what you know Michael and I wrote in, in the relevance report, is, it's AI with humans. And so that's gonna be a job area where we're trying to train students, how do you work with it? This is something that will be a marketable skill if you come in as an entry level person and you can say, yeah. I've developed this um, here in my student newsroom, and I can help develop it here at the New York Times or CNN. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Grant, uh, we did a technology survey a few years ago at USC, and and 20% of PR people said that they thought um, AI would be a, a major factor in their work. We did the same survey this year with WE Communications, and that number was 80%, just over a factor of three years. You're looking at it from an agency point of view and from a client point of view, too. How quickly is AI being adopted in agencies? And are clients asking for AI from the agencies?
4: Yeah, I think the short answer is really quickly. And and when we sit back and we think about the sort of learning curve that our people go on, that our partners and client organizations are going on. I think we're seeing the transition from, I don't know anything about this, but I'm aware of it. I'm reading news articles and learning in a general sense to, I know enough to experiment And I'm therefore experimenting in pockets and a lot of organizations find themselves in that space right now. And then looking at that transition to now I've experimented and I'm ready to make more let's call them medium term strategic decisions about what we do and how we do it. And the most common place where people are looking is efficiencies. How can we use technology to be more efficient about the things that we do? But I think the things that are more exciting, and certainly this is at Hill and Knowlton, how we're thinking about it is. How can we do some of those things that are the the second step in that journey, right? How can we more can we use the technology to more fulsomely consider data and data sets that would have historically been too big or complex, uh, too dis too disintermediated, not connected. Um, how do we use it to think about content at scale that allows then for personalization on a level that we've never been able to before, right? Now that we can enable tools to help us do that. Uh, it's unlocked a really interesting um and, and new and evol- and evolving, evolvingly complex risk environment, right? We're looking at mis and disinformation, bias, hallucination, all kind of con or coming into contact with two global wars, a 2024 election cycle in the US that's gonna pump a whole bunch of cash into speech, right? And that's all on the practice, if you will, of the work that we do. But the other piece of it is we recently at H&K did a, a survey, a piece of research within North America, and among other things, asked business leaders how whether they thought AI was going to transform their business model, right? So forget about the work that we do. And the numbers were, I mean, past. The overwhelming majority of people said, yes, this will transform our business. Not only are we going on this journey inside the agency and with our clients, I'm saying as communicators, we need to learn how to use these tools because they will affect the way we do our work. You're probably not going to lose your job to AI, but you might lose it to someone who can use AI. But beyond that, as businesses are changing and and, and involving, engaging, leveraging AI in more active ways, to tell those stories as communicators, we have to actually understand it. So there's sort of two dimensions to the need to learn about this. And I think one of the ways that we're finding attraction and success in that is really at a grassroots level, is empowering those people, like Christina was talking about students, empowering staff who are experimenting and and doing things and um, building things. Uh, And we have the great benefit um, of of the WPP technology infrastructure and foundation upon which to build, right, which comes with it, partnerships with organizations like Microsoft and others that allow us access to that stuff. But I think that's going to be this sort of tension is how do we unlock the bravery and creativity of people, because that's really the only limit we experience right now, with the realities of this risk environment that was there before, but is turned up to 11, if you will,
0: now. Grant, WPP is a big global company. Do you see the same interest and enthusiasm in other regions?
4: Yeah. I mean, I... It it manifests in slightly different ways in different parts of the world, to be sure. But I would say I haven't had a meeting with a single one of our global leaders anywhere where this isn't a top three concern. And probably more often than not, it's first or second.
0: Thank you. Heather, there's a lot of issues with AI that people are concerned about, but the one you wrote about was a little different. And it was the idea of security. Given your background and where you work, Can you tell us a little bit about what are the security issues related to AI and how do companies uh, address those things?
5: Sure. Happy to jump into that question. I I think one of my colleagues shared with me uh, an anecdote, which is top of mind. And he said, in the same way that AI is accelerating business activity and all this good stuff for us, It's also enabling and accelerating threat actors, the the folks with bad intent out there to do everything bad faster and at greater scale. So we as organizations need to be prepared holistically across the whole of our organizations for this threat environment that is really increased. And I think we're so excited about it. The threat actors are also thinking they've got this kid in a candy store moment happening for them too. Their whole goal is to exploit holes in data security, and they love it when there's access to enormous amounts of customer data. And you think about what AI has done, it's creating a lot of opportunity for phishing attacks, for social engineering scams, for impersonation of brands. I know Fred at one of our uh, Center for PR meetings, we talked a lot about deep fakes, um, thinking about yeah. how AI is really allowing the generation of incredibly realistic deep fakes. And then of course, everybody's excited about the large language models. And that's adding a whole new element of risk because of some of the things that we've already talked about here around manipulation, data poisoning, injection of malicious code and instructions into the content. All that to say in terms of what we can do about it. We've talked about needing to have a human in the loop and that strong security posture. And I think for us, to not get caught up in all of the excitement and then end up with this over-reliance on AI. Because I think it's interesting, in some ways we were really built for this moment because we've all, as communicators and marketers, we've been taught to have proper governance in place, to not just take things at face value, to think about data privacy and compliance and all the things that we're trained on in our companies. And yet somehow AI came onto the scene in a bigger way, it's been around for forever. But now in particular with ChatGPT, suddenly all of the things that we all know better, we're throwing that out the window and uploading strategic plans to public platforms. I'm not saying we would do that, but you hear stories of that. And it's crazy because we know better. I think the more that companies can just recall all the things that we've been trained on and that we know are important when it comes to protecting data and information, that all applies now more than it ever has. So yeah.
0: <laughs> It's both good and bad, right?
5: Exactly. exactly. We just need to be, we need to proceed with caution, but lean into this because this is a moment my colleagues talk about this, like they equate this to the the launch of the internet. You know, this is big in that way.
0: Well, Aaron, you had a long career in PR. You had your own agency, and now you're an entrepreneur in AI. You've created a product. and Are there a lot of products out there now for the PR industry that are AI driven or is is this the beginning and they are just a few and what's going to happen next?
6: Well, I could get away with it. I'd say we're the only product there. There's there are more and more out there and people like Grant are starting to build them at the holding company level as well. But before I answer that, I just want to mention, too, and I put it in the chat. There's a really interesting story in The New York Times today by Steve Lohr. Uh, who uh, wrote about the data and trust alliance and actually it was brought to my attention through John Lawada, ex-IBM and professor at Yale. There are finally, there's a move to have data provenance standards in the same way that, you know, you have to list, you know, what's in your food product and food labeling, specifically for LLMs and AI. So just riffing on what Heather was talking about before. So I'm generally an optimist. I also am paranoid and I have ADHD. So that kind of gets into the swirl a a little bit. When I think about products that are the, the integration and the intersection between AI and PR. I started this journey, like you said, Fred, back in 2020, 2019, it was just GPT then. And everybody thought I was nuts because I said, this is going to be consequential. I left my day job, handed the keys of my agency over to my very capable successor. And it's been very challenging uh, to actually integrate it because we're in a business, in the PR world, we're in a business of kind of instinct. We've been starved for data. We've been starved for innovation. The last big innovation in the PR world was like email. I kid you not and so i think about kind of this innovation starvation and if i i don't want to be overly reductive about what we do but a lot of it is earned media and we're trying to solve for two questions you know who's going to be interested in my pitch and then how do i make my pitch more interesting or narrative more interesting and the i think that the stuff around generative how do i make my content more interesting is a little overhyped if i'm totally honest i think the future Um, is going to be more so around predictive and prescriptive AI, being able to see around that corner. Grant said earlier, being able to take loads of unstructured data and create more narrative and resonance around that data. And I think that the challenge for us as PR people is to create systems and platforms that are as close to as intuitive as it is in real life, but also in, in an assisted way. And I think that Christina mentioned it before about the digest and sports scores, and you're not getting that vibe. Um, The other issue is, and what we've been working on, is moving from Boolean search to semantic search and vectoring context. How do you create context? Um, Otherwise, it's like very linear. um, And that is where I think the real gains are going to be for us. So when I think about what's next, I think about integrating voice skills. I don't think everything's going to be or should be in a search bar. I get why OpenAI did that. And look, my platform sits on OpenAI and Azure as well as Anthropic. We use a couple different LLMs. But I think that the real gains are going to be around purpose-built, templated platforms for people to be able to be more performative, right? And PR people, again, we've never had data to be able to argue with the general counsel that this crisis statement is going to land a certain way. Being able to be more predictive and I think then prescriptive and having that back and forth, that's really what the future is. And again, I'm generally an optimist, but this isn't just important to us. This is consequential and. What I tell people to stay away from is anything, words about productivity or workflow, because we're in the business of articulation, not automation. I don't want to automate what we do or the art of what we do. I'm just trying to be more precise and more deliberate using that data to make me more performative.
0: Christina, what do you think? You use AI to write stories. What do you think about PR people using AI to pitch you stories?
3: I mean why not right I, I mean I think in some ways we we've talked about this at the school level we've been using things to enhance our writing for a long time even this maybe is a little bit off go with me for a second for this analogy so my 7 year old is in first grade and he's doing a reading fundraiser for school and one of the ways they get points and they get little prizes and stuff is if they type in responses to prompts the whole thing is they say you're graded on like doing a complete sentence and spelling things correctly. And I watched him and he was like, oh, like it's telling me what to do. Like all the autocorrect was in there. And I was like, oh, let me turn that off. And I couldn't, I spent five minutes with the phone and I could not figure out how to turn it off. And to Maxwell's credit, he's I won't look at it because I know that's how I get my points is writing it myself, which was like a really lovely moment. But I just thought this surrounds us. And so where there are things that you can Again, make your life easier and focus on the things like PR is all about relationships. If you can spend half an hour more developing that human relationship and saying, here's something my AI wrote with all the details in it. I mean, it literally is the who, what, when, where, how, and why. Why not? A friend of mine actually was telling me she uses it. She had to lead a training on how to use SharePoint. And so she said, you know what? this exists somewhere, like, why should I have to come up with all new materials? So she asked chat please give me in this template of my slides, um, to do this SharePoint training. And it was instantaneous. And she just, like, I wow. used that time to engage with an activity that I could think of to get people to practice. And I mean, those types of things, um, it, it frees us up to do the more creative things that our brains are best to do than these like weird, repetitive tasks.
0: Michael, you're a student, what are, you're a little older than than Christina's son, but what do you think the impact is on academia for, for a student, a grad student like you?
7: Yeah, my answer will build off what all of the great industry experts and panelists have to say. I think AI really underscores the importance of being a lifelong learner. In the future, leaders across industries will need to be interdisciplinary, cross-functional, open-minded. Uh, and it's a shift that I see that we're actively preparing for here at Annenberg. I know at the uh, Center for PR, we've been really hard at work at balancing these complex technical theories uh, and experiential learning opportunities to fully understand the, the nuances of an AI future and how, like Christina mentioned before, it's AI with humans and not AI versus humans as it augments our capabilities. Uh, in essence, the collaborative potential of these tools is super profound. Um, and and one thing that I, I think that education or academia will do really well is look at other industries and really be open minded toward new ideas. For instance, uh, an essay in the report looks at stock brokers and how they utilize machine learning to analyze risk before making significant investment decisions. Uh, we can apply that as Aaron mentioned to crisis communication, take that big data and in real time offer risk assessments for potential factors that could contribute to crises. So what if you were able to know about a salacious headline before it's even printed? But I mean, that's a double-edged sword as well. With great power comes great responsibility. And so for education, the communication professional profession as a whole, uh, I think we'll need to follow uh, what I think is a North Star for leadership, which is sustainability, mentoring, and empowering the next generation of leaders. For us students, we're going to be looking a lot towards for mentorship. I mean, in PR or in Strat Communications, we already work in a very gray area. Um, And so it's going to be all about the people behind the campaign. Um, So it's imperative that we center ourselves around not just great forward-thinking minds, but great people as well, so that we can address ethical conundrums and other unforeseen issues.
0: That's interesting. And Aaron addressed this too. You talk about crisis management. He talked about media relations.
7: Uh, Overall,
0: this question for anybody, how big of an impact on like on the Richter scale, is AI going to have on the PR industry? And what parts of it do you think are going to be impacted the most?
1: Remind me uh, what the uh, the scale of the Richter scale, Fred. One, uh,
0: Ron and I were having an argument about this. It's either 1 to 8 or 1 to 10, but we've never seen a 10. 16, There's gotta
1: 17.
6: 17. There's got to be a more positive measure than an earthquake scale, though.
0: No, <laughs> just say 1 to 10. How's <laughs> 1 to 10? Plain old 1 to 10. 10, 10, absolutely. 10,
4: Great. I heard it likened, likened recently on a podcast to the invention of electricity, uh, which I think when we, when you actually start to peel it back and you think beyond just and and Aaron hit on this point beyond just those pieces of it, which are, I can use this contextual, this large language model to create content that's contextually relevant to be sure there are immense sets of applications for that. But I think our ability to do things like predict and understand when a client or when a company or a brand is gonna be at risk for miss or disinformation for a coordinated attack. So we recently at H&K launched a a product called Sonar and it's really designed in part to do that. And, And one of the things that we found working with a client recently was that they were coming under attack with something related to the conflict in Israel right now. And that attack was being driven by a couple hundred bots that then drove this through a massive network and pushed it out into the mainstream. And The ability to see that coming before it switched into the mainstream and and coordinate a pre-bunking effort, I think is going to be one of the huge spaces where this plays out, Fred. The ability to predict risks, whether they're geopolitical, mis- and disinformation, and then act on them before they become crises right before they meet all the traditional check marks that we'd be looking for that says, okay, now we're in crisis mode, stand up the command center and get to action. I think that's going to be one
1: major place this plays out.
0: Any place else? Steve, any thoughts on
1: how it's going to impact PR? Two thoughts, Fred. I just put one of them in the chat. Is An area we've not talked about, which I think we're all involved in PR, is not on the output side, but more on the input side is, measurements and reporting and dealing with a huge... I spent a lot of my time or my team does, saying, what was the impact of a product announcement? What was the impact of a launch? What was the impact of an event that we did? And that's really, it's data, right? It's ingesting a huge amount of data and AI is especially good at that and being able to help us produce reports, a move. I like to talk about it as moving ourselves on this spectrum of a lot of measurements are important is hindsight. How do we get from hindsight to insight and then start to get into foresight and start to do more predictive um, work, uh, which I'm, I'm sure Grant and the, and his team are working on. And then the second piece, just on the productivity side of things, even just outside of, let's just call it pure PR work, it's these tools are just going to help us be more productive as individuals. An example I had, I, and I put this in the chat, I get writer's block, like probably everybody else does here at some time. anybody care to cast a guess of when people open up Microsoft Word or any other word processor, what is the number one thing that they do immediately after they've opened Microsoft Word? They close it back down because people are faced with a <laughs> blank page. This is a true story. People are faced with a blank page and that's called writer's block. And I had this myself a few months ago. I wanted to write a memo to my team and I had a slide deck, I had a PowerPoint deck that sort of had the essence of my memo. And so I used not to overly promote Microsoft's technology here, but I'm going to, I used copilot and I said, help me write a memo based on this PowerPoint slide deck, and it did a really good job. It didn't write the memo for me, but it gave me a 50% version of the memo that I could then build on top of. And if that isn't a productivity gain, I don't know what is. Can I, can I add one more
6: example? I don't usually get writer's block, but I have PowerPoint block. So I used beautiful.ai recently, and in about two hours, I developed something that would have taken me 10 hours to do, and it only required about 30 minutes for a real designer to come over the top to make it better. And usually she takes about six hours to do that. So the gains were huge. I also think we don't talk enough about um, the impact to employees in a positive way. So I think it's going to create jobs. We're probably going to retain more people. Agencies, PR agencies in particular, lose about 25% of their staff involuntarily every year. And a lot of it is because they just don't like the mundane tasks they're doing that can be augmented or replaced with an AI. So I think that happiness at work, um, job creation and also upskilling You can become a specialist or have more of a specialism in something very quickly now that it might have taken you five years to gain. Doesn't mean you are have core domain expertise, but what does it mean for multi-specialist firms in creating specialties and being able to up level? I think it could be huge.
0: There's an article in the Relevance Report about up-leveling from one of the professors here at USC. What the, From the agency perspective, though, many agencies charge their clients by the hour. And if you can do something in five minutes that used to take five hours, what is there going to be some impact from that, Grant or Aaron?
4: I, I certainly expect,
0: yes. I mean, I think
4: if we look at what's going on in law firms right now and what has been for the last several months... That's probably something we should all be looking at and learning from. I think there are two pieces of it that we shouldn't lose sight of. So one is, we've all said this. I think we all need to continue to believe it's true. These technologies are not at a place yet where they exist or perform at the level we need. Without um, human intervention in that technology doesn't change the market value of a thing. So one of the things I think we're going to have to think about is How much is the work we do worth when we no longer define the worth based on how many hours it took a set of people to do it and that's a question we're gonna have to debate and i think that's a reasonable thing to debate historically we've never said this task is worth x dollars done completed success we've always said this task is worth 654 hours divided by 27 people that's a fundamental business model shift and i think That's the question a lot of people have to be answering, not just in PR and not just at agencies, because the same thing is going to play out as true inside teams like Heather and Terod's. I imagine how many people you have doing how much work enabled by what technology and what does that technology cost? Because these things to have them be secure, as Heather pointed out, rarely are they free and secure. So we have to figure that piece of the investment out as well.
6: It's absolutely culture change, right? It's absolutely culture change. I think so agencies are built primarily they're selling people and process. I mean, I'm sure Fred Grant and I, we've all sold our, I had design thinking for communications, my process and now it's going to be people process technology. And it's going to be show me your tech stack and agencies can't look at technology as cost. They have to look at it as investment now, just like they have FTEs and investment. And I'd love to see the billable hour die. Why should I be paid? for a quarter of my time to save a company $7 billion in market cap from a crisis. They should be paying me a lot more for that.
0: Heather, how do you feel about it from a corporate point of view?
6: I certainly agree with the point
2: that we hope for a reduction in the cost of doing work with agencies that it sounds like my agency partners are signing up for. So that's going to be- I'm not sure we
4: said (laughs) that, but sure. (laughs) Uh,
2: But yeah, I I agree with everything that's been said. I think one of the things- I might have said it. The point- (laughs) Someone made about the appeal of the predictive opportunities, not just across the, the traditional comm side of things, but you think about the marketing opportunities, right, And where we spent so much time uh, trying to get to predictive, not just analytics, but insights and the amount of dollars that we spend on qualitative research and all those things that I think are, in my mind, on the whiteboard of where AI is going to drive some value. And the other thing that I was thinking about on the other side of our brain is we're talking about it more transactionally for our function. That it also creates a massive opportunity for us as advisors, counselors to our organizations, given some of the business realities, both the risk and the opportunities that we think we're grappling with it as a function, but our counterparts within the organization from my side of things in the C-suite are debating this ad nauseum. And so it creates a massive opportunity for strategic communications, advisor, counselor similar to what the last two, three years has done for our function to really elevate the stature and the level of dialogue uh, as we help our organizations deal with the risk, the reward, and the potentials that have to be navigated in this as well. That I think creates a really exciting opportunity that we can't lose sight of as well.
5: Totally do you, agree. Heather, do you have
0: any concerns about your agencies using AI? Would you want to know if they are on your behalf?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think we need to assume that everyone's using it, you know, I mean, that's, and mm-hmm. it's funny, Christina was talking about her seven-year-old it's, and thinking about the impact on the Richter scale. I mean, this is accessible to everyone. It's at, at, at every age. It's amazing. I mean, just even the way our kids interact with Alexa. And I mean, it's, it's really transformative. I think I was thinking about my team too, just to your earlier question, Fred, and I think it's exciting because I think we're going to see people who wouldn't have historically leaned into areas like more analytical and critical thinking, more strategic thinking. Now our internal clients, they're coming to us with a first draft of, of something that they've put together, and it's now our communications folks who might have been the ones to have been asked to generate something from scratch. Now they're being asked for their perspective, for their thoughts. How will this land? Should I have been thinking about this differently? Can you juxtapose these ideas? And I, I think it's made what we do every day far more valuable because sort of some of that initial generation will ultimately become table stakes and the real value is going to be what we all as professionals lay layer on top of that
0: just to give uh, people some practical oh go ahead christina
3: well i was Sorry. just going to add that I, I couldn't agree more um but also i think it it allows people to have Different versions of things, right? You're storyboarding an idea. It's not just a rough. Oh, I have this idea, and then here's two bullet points I have on a sticky note. It's here's three drafts of something. Now we can really get into that nitty gritty. And I wonder. I, I think about the health of the media industry quite a bit. And right now, this sort of idea of how, how do people pay for their news and how and There is a future where you could see disclosure of artificial intelligence written material or even produced television pieces. Mm -hmm. And are people going to be more willing to pay for that than they are now when you know it's a human going out and getting the facts? These are also challenges that I think can be those secondary consequences we're not really thinking about.
0: Let Let me shift to Michael for a second. Michael. A lot of people in the PR industry are not familiar with AI or the tools. What advice do you would you have for them uh, how to begin this journey into this new technology do you, given what you've known so far?
7: It's a really great question. I I'd, I'd embrace the learning curve and also seek collaborative learning opportunities. So, start with AI in areas that you're passionate about. If you love screenwriting, try and come up with a story utilizing AI, generative AI, or talk about cooking recipes to understand its capabilities. Um, And as you grow more comfortable with it, then you can explore how AI can address specific PR or communication or media-related tasks. Uh, And just recognize that we're in a field of flux and we're all adapting together. So really embrace group discussion and workshops within your own organizations to share knowledge and experiences. Honestly, one thing that I learned earlier this semester is not to chase perfection, but to just chase experiences and to not be afraid of failure. So I think this collective approach not only eases that learning process, but fosters a culture of continuous innovation uh, and even adaptability in the face of this technological advancement. And I think it's also important to note, Fred, you said it before the webinar officially began, most of this relevance report or most of what we're talking about might be irrelevant a year from now. So we're really all kind of getting through this together.
0: I saw you smile when Aaron mentioned beautiful AI. I know you love that. Are there any other tools you recommend people check out?
7: Yeah. It's it's fitting, beautiful AI is phenomenal, by the way. I love using it. I suck at like, designing stuff too, so it makes everything so quick. But it's fitting that Microsoft is with us. ChatGPT has been one of my favorite tools because I feel like I'm really thinking out loud. And so in the report, I worked with Allison Agston, who's one of COP28's inaugural climate actionists, And we actually did a case study utilizing ChatGPT, where we took probably the worst document in history, which is this IPCC report. And it has all of these climate findings from around the world and it's incomprehensible. We fed it to ChatGPT, asked it to give us the 10 main takeaways from the report. And it condensed all of that into, all that complicated data into really essential information. And then we compared it and contrasted it with expert climate journalists that found that did Articles on that report, and we found that AI actually helped bridge some of the gaps that weren't there in those nationally published articles. So I think it could really add uh, a really good detail-oriented approach towards towards writing stories. Um, and explainable AI promises a future where AI's decisions and processes are really transparent and understandable, giving us like that crucial factor uh, when it comes to really complex issues, which is trust and clarity.
0: Steve, what about your favorite tools? I'm sure they're Microsoft
7: ones.
1: They are, but, you know, ChatGPT isn't a Microsoft tool. We partner with OpenAI, but I've had a lot of fun playing with ChatGPT or OpenAI's, I should say, the ChatGPT mobile app recently in the vision part of it. And I literally did this morning. I was in the lounge in Seattle flying down here to LA. um, And I took a photograph of the food I got in the lounge and said, tell me how many calories are in this. And it didn't quite answer the question, but it's just... The creative ways that you can start to use these things. So that's a great tool. I have spent a lot of time in the last week using this tool called Microsoft Designer, which for those of you who use Photoshop to do things like generative AI, Designer does some of those things. But through, I would say, a a more consumer interface that more people are doing things like background removal or my wife gave me this panoramic photograph she'd taken on the top of a a a mountainside in Seattle, but there were two people stood in front of the photo. And you literally just click on them and say remove, and it creates you this perfect photograph. And so those are two, one Microsoft and one non-Microsoft that I'm enjoying playing with at the moment.
0: Anybody else have a favorite tool that they think people should check out?
4: I'll do a plug for a a different Microsoft tool, which I just use personally, which is the, the Bing app on your mobile phone you can essentially talk to the GPT model that sits underneath it. And I think it's just, I use it 50 times a day for almost everything. So I would recommend that highly.
0: Yes.
3: I mean, if we, this is not really AI, but um, our Google home, Sorry, Um, (laughs) I like I can't live without it. It gets us music, it gets us recipes, it turns the lights on. And one of the things I'm writing this in the chat is we train. We always say thank you and please to them um, around the kids because you don't want them to get in the habit of ordering, especially female places around. I have to run to go teach my class. This has been such a good conversation. Thanks everybody.
6: Thank you, Christina.
0: Aaron, are you seeing, as you're out there marketing profit, are you seeing agencies and companies interested in new products? Are they, is
6: there a big market out there? There's a big market. I think there's still a lot of curiosity. The courage to fully adopt isn't there yet. And it's so shocking to me because I go up against kind of analog competitors, like a, a muckrack rescission, which they do fine work. But I think one of the watchouts for software is that the expectation is greater. So they're expecting that when they put their inputs into my platform, that it's going to be perfect coming out. It's not going to be perfect generatively or predictively, because we still need the human to come in over the top. Our marketplace, PR people, we're not used to buying software. So one of the things we need to do is we need to also ask tough questions around information security. You should never be emailing a reporter a pitch from someone's platform. It should always go back to your native email. I mean, I think that because the way we've kind of given away our information so with such trust and because we've till date to date have had like a benevolent government, unfortunately that sets us up for a lot of privacy concerns. So I think we need to ask, you know, tougher questions. The the thing that scares me is again, I don't mean to go negative on this, but if you look at social media companies and how they've had to date lack of algorithmic transparency. One of the things I think we need to request now that we have this window before we kind of entranch ourselves in these new software platforms is to make sure that there's there's algorithm, algorithmic transparency and there's more data sharing and, and ring fencing around privacy that we kind of lost control over with social media.
0: That's really interesting. And one of the questions I would, a lot of the articles in the relevance report talked about some of the, I, I hate to use this word, but the negative aspect of the concerns about AI. Heather, what, what concerns do you have about it?
5: I think my biggest one is that we're just going to get caught up in the excitement and lose sight of all the things that we know better at. That's my big concern. I mean, there's certainly all sorts of tools and partners that can help you figure out how to secure your information and there's questions of course now around who owns the IP there's a lot of a lot of the jury's still out in many of these areas too so there's this is a very interesting moment but I keep coming back to everything that we've been trained in and on as professionals in the communications and marketing space we know what about good governance we know about trust we know about transparency and so I think we need to hold true to all the stuff that's in our core, because this technology, I think, is incredibly exciting. But to let go of the reins and take everything at face value is my biggest concern. So I think we need to, we're trained to be curious, to question, to that's what this profession is all about. So let's remember that, because I think that's what's going to allow us to add the greatest value in this moment.
0: Anybody else have any concerns
4: about this? If I could add, if I could add one, I think I, I wrote about mis- and disinformation in the report, and I, I do think that's a big thing and, and something that we should all be afraid of, but or, or conscious of, I should say, working against. But one of the things that comes up a lot is the use of these tools to help unblock writer's block. And I think there's an enormous amount of power in that. If anybody spends time listening to Ezra Klein and his podcast, he talks about this a lot. One of the reasons writer's block happens a lot is people don't yet know what they want to say. And I think Heather, while you were talking, this idea of staying true to the core of what it is that we do and what we know how to do, and that at its very basis is telling stories. And I have a fear that we start to use these tools to write things, to create things before we know what it is we're really trying to say. And that sort of effort of developing a point of view of having a, a thoughtful narrative that we're trying to tell and then using these tools to help us tell that More compellingly, more creatively, on a more personalized level—that's all really powerful. But when we get—if we get to a place where we're relying on these tools to tell us what to say, then I think we're going to get to a point where it becomes the least common denominator. Nothing breaks through, uh, and that is kind of a a dystopian future. I'm a bit afraid of.
0: Anybody else? Let me ask you uh, one last question. We're winding down here. This has been—I have a lot more questions, and I would love to ask but we don't have time. But just simply, as you think about AI in the future, when you see all the opportunities it presents in the communications field and all some of the, the challenges and the speed of adoption that you were talking about, Aaron, what what emoji would you use when you're thinking about AI's impact on the future of our, our work? Anybody? Michael, you want to start? Okay.
6: Fight on! I, I use the fight on. I'm a Trojan parent as well, and that's my favorite yeah. emoji. And I think that anything else, we have to fight through it to see the good, and we have to fight through it to battle the bad. And I think so. Nice. To me, it's about fight on.
0: Okay,
6: fight I fight on. That's a good start. Anybody
0: I'd else? I use
5: the the flexed biceps emoji. I think this is like a big moment of strength, and of course, the fight on emoji for sure. Yeah, fight on
0: is good. Everybody's going to say fight on now. Aaron, what about you, Michael?
7: I love the fight on. I wish I had thought of that first, but uh, I actually, I took a page from Steve's book and I asked AI what it would describe itself in an emoji. And it gave me the star because of all the bright and illuminating possibilities, which signals optimism. And I feel that, but I think that my my emoji would probably be the one that is between conflicted and grimace, like the the that one. Uh, these tools, as we've mentioned before, they weren't very careful consideration on one hand, there is excitement about AI's potential for innovation and efficiency. But on the other hand, as the panel has mentioned, there are real concerns about authenticity and other ethical considerations. And it raises questions about the integrity of our profession. Can we maintain that authenticity that's that's crucial and core to the effectiveness of great PR? As we navigate this largely uncharted territory, there's a natural apprehension towards the unknown, especially how AI might transform our own lifestyles. There's just that. Right now, you feel really conflicted as it relates to our future. Gerard, how about you?
2: I think I'd be on that same continuum, this cautious optimism. So whatever the appropriate emoji would be for that super excited about the potential, but also not ambivalent to the risks we got to navigate, but I think that's all well and good as well.
0: I don't, I'm not sure which emoji that is either, but it's a pretty nuanced mm-hmm. one. I like it. Grant, how about you?
4: I think for me, it's the champagne bottle. I I, I think this is a party <laughs> and it's a celebration and it's, we are finally as a function talking globally, universally about the implications of technology, about the need for a technology stack, about the need to be more thoughtful about these things. And I think all of that is good. I think modernizing our profession in that way is valuable. On the same token, you know, that feeling when you walk into a party and you know that you're not going to know a lot of people, there's that anxious of what's this going to be like i think that kind of is part of this too so for me it's maybe i just like champagne i don't know but that's where i landed
1: cheers <laughs> steve what about you oh i'm sorry somebody had to do that right uh, i'm tempted to go with the champagne but it's 11:30 here in in la so maybe a bit too early but i like that but i'm gonna go with the i'm gonna put my emoji in the chat i don't know what you call this i guess you call it the melting emoji and the reason I have that is, and i'm I'm very optimistic. like I'm a nerd at heart, and I love the technology. But I do want to yeah. acknowledge like there is it's hard to keep up. Every day, there is something yeah. new. And so I want to just encourage people and reassure people that you know, even some of the folks here who are on this call who are on the front lines of AI, I expect if you ask them, they would say, "Yeah, it's difficult to keep up. So don't feel like you're falling behind. Don't feel like you're a laggard." Just get out there, experiment, play with the tools, whichever tools they are. But it can feel a bit it can feel a bit overwhelming, I think is what I'm trying to signal with that emoji. It's just the pace of it is like nothing I've seen.
0: Now, one of our students said, use it for something that's not important and just practice. Make a birthday card. Do do whatever is something that isn't gonna have any bad consequences if you screw it up. Thank you all for participating in this. It was really fascinating discussion. I hope. Everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. As somebody said, I wrote in the introduction to this, that this relevance report may not be relevant f- for very long, but it's definitely relevant right now. And if you want a copy of it or you want to see it, you can download it from our website at the USC Center for Public Relations. We'll put that in the chat. Or if you want hard copies, we have some of those too. You just send me an email at fcook@usc.edu, and we'll try to provide those for you or your students or whatever. And thanks, everybody, very much. And to go back to what Aaron said, right on. This episode of PR Future, a replay of our Relevance Report webinar, was produced by Ron Antoinette and Grayson Wolf. You can subscribe to PR Future on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media at USC Center for PR. PR Future is a production of the University of Southern California and its Center for Public Relations at USC Annenberg. Join us again next time for PR Future.